What's up, Almost 30? Welcome back to the podcast. If you're new, welcome to Almost 30. Hi, everyone. It's Lindsay and Krista. Thanks for being here. As always, how's everyone feeling? Yeah. Yeah. I feel so anxious today. You know what's so funny about feeling mm. anxious? It's like you feel anxious and then you're just sitting at your computer typing. <laughs> I always feel like I'm like, my body wants to run a marathon and I'm literally sitting and I typing know. on a computer. I know. It's such an interesting experience. And then it turns into like... At least for me, it's like that busy work that kind of yes. helps you to avoid the feeling of being anxious and just saying, oh, why am I anxious? Yes. <laughs> well, I had to go to the DMV today. I have mm. to get my my licenses over a year expired. Whatever, COVID. <laughs> so I had to go to the DMV. Yo, it was fucking wild. Which one did you go to? Culver. Mm. Never again. Right I will down drive, the street from yeah, here. I yeah. will drive to Palm Springs over <laughs> fucking going. I know. The line is always around the block. And it, then you get inside and there's another waiting out. game. <laughs> I was like, I actually would need nine to five. I would yeah. need eight full hours. I know. Full straight up dedication. It was so wild. I don't even know. I was like thinking about that. I'm like, that's another benefit of not living in a big ass city. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking 100%. about, I'm like, I'm going for my wedding show, I'm going to Ohio this weekend. I'm like, dude, I wish I could go to the DMV in Ohio. You know what's nice? Like when you get off the plane in Ohio and you just slide cute, right you out. Fly. My sister's like, I'm waiting outside. I parked out front. I'm like, see you in 30 perfect. seconds. Yeah, literally like see you. I'm like, how long have I parked there? She's like 30 minutes. I'm like, cool. Did you figure out why you were anxious? Or was it just starting the day at the DMV? Just a lot. I have a lot yeah. happening. So just, just sort of that. And I think too, just... Yeah, it was one of those things where I'm like also adding things to my list. I'm like, oh, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. Yeah. And with wedding planning, it's sort of like it never ends with what you could be doing. I know. And so it's just kind of that feeling of like, oh, there could be this and there could be that. But um, yeah, I don't feel like this often. So, but when I do, it sucks because I just want to be running around my apartment. I want to be like moving papers around my yes. apartment all day. That's when I'm like cleaning. I'm yes. cleaning. I'm purging. It doesn't take a lot of like brain power. Yes. I'm just like, okay. But you're moving. But you're moving. Yeah. I've noticed lately it's like the the future, like the anticipation of mm -hmm. things where I'm like already assuming that things are either going to be challenging, hard, annoying, blah, 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 when nothing's happened to exactly. prove that to me yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I really have to catch myself because then it informs the present moment. Mm -hmm. You know, with our move and everything, I'm like, okay, ma making sure like we've checked every box in terms of preparation and, and equipment mm -hmm. and just flow and schedule. And yeah, you can only plan so much. You mm -hmm. know, we can plan as much as possible, but it's like, yeah, there's an anxiety around the unknown that is hard because it's like, not all of it is defined yet. It could be better mm -hmm. than we anticipate mm -hmm. in yes. terms of like challenge. It could be easier mm -hmm. than we think. So I just see myself like future tripping a lot and assuming that things are going to go a certain mm -hmm. way. When I, Justin and I did uh, Reiki with Laura this weekend and we were driving in the car to where her, we were driving in the car to her house, which is pretty far from where we live. And we were talking and I was like, Everything we everything we were talking about, mostly Justin, was incredibly negative. I was like, so mm. at the third thing that was negative, I'm like, this is not the vibe. Mm. We talked about yeah. three things related to what's going on right now in the world. And I was like, none of this is the vibe. This is literally a pointless conversation. Nothing is happening right now. Nothing is happening in this current moment, in this current car. This is, it was, oh, I felt so gross. He was like, oh my God, you're so right. We need to like, 
transition the conversation to something yeah. positive, but it was, I was just like, oh, there's so many things to talk about right now or really be in relation to that are negative that don't necessarily or aren't necessarily happening right now. And it was like feeding the narrative yeah. of the fear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, 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 no. Because there's yeah, one thing to have catch. a conversation in, deal, in dealing with what is actually present for us right now, but sort of feeding the narrative was like not the vibe. And I was thinking about how in the media, it's, it's called predictive programming where they sort of feed what is going to happen in the collective publicly. And so I think too, it's part of a way to really make people fearful and then also feed that narrative, feed that timeline. Yeah. Because we really can override timelines in our reality. So we're really feeding the new timeline that they've created mm. to make us fearful. And then they're like, see, I, I knew know. it was going to happen. Honestly. Yeah. And then it just affirms that their fear and anxiety are some things that are necessary. Yes. Because it's either true or predictive. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I think I've been more in tune with or sensitive to over the last few years is that either gossiping or negativity. I mean, we all do it, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm very much like noticing how it feels in my body where I don't really feed off of the energy anymore. Ew, no, I hate but it. But I used to for sure because mm-hmm. it almost felt like um, a relational thing. Mm-hmm. Let me relate with you on this certain person or topic or situation, but it just doesn't feel good anymore. Yeah. That's like whenever I'm home, it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, we're talking about this. Or what was the conversation too? I had a friend who was talking about, she's living with her parents and her parents were just saying something about something that's happening. And I was like, oh, that's what you do in that sort of mentality is like talk shit about the thing that you feel like everyone can relate to. Yeah. And it's just so gross because it's like, where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. What are we even saying? Or not really talking to a solution. Of course. About the thing. Of course. And, and what's the point? Mm-hmm. What's the point of saying all of this? You know, it's to relate, but I think... Yeah, but that's hard to get out of. But I was really, I was like, oh, this is not what I want to be talking about right now. So he's like, the cats. No, I know, literally. So I was like, what should we talk about? I was like, oh, the cats. Perfect. I was. I was like, what do you think Fuji think? You know, I was like, talk. Yeah, that's exact. That's the perfect thing to move the vibe. Yeah. Move the vibe up, talk about the pets. But we did a healing session with, with Laura. So mm-hmm. we, I've been working with Laura Elliott Healing for probably two years now. And she is a Reiki master. She teaches Reiki. Um, I didn't get my Reiki certification through her program, but I highly recommend it. And um, she's been really helpful for me. You've seen her. Uh, yeah. Justin's seen her. And so Justin and I did a couple session, which was so, so darling. It was so sweet. Was it outside? We did it outside. Oh. And so at the beginning, this is like a great practice for any couple if you guys really want to do this. But at the beginning, she made us look at each other, hold each other's hands and talk about the story that I'm telling or the one thing that you do that I judge you for that's really about me is. So it's, you know, as an example with Justin, I was like, the one thing I judge you about is the way that you chill because it's really about my wanting to chill more. And so it's really taking whatever your judgment is about that person and really making it about, about you. So we did three of those. What was this one Justin said? Oh, I want to write that down. Yes. The one thing that I judge you for that is really about me is, and we each did three of those. And then we did a practice where we did each shared three things we loved about that person, um, which was really beautiful. 
And then in our ceremony, we were, you know, sort of in the healing. We're kind of in the breath work that whatever's going on. And then Laura's like channeling, basically. She's like, <laughs> so she's telling me and Justin to say things. And we're saying things like, um, we know this is a change, but we know that we're ready or so, something like that. Just really beautiful sayings mm-hmm. and phrases related to the wedding. And she was like, Krista, okay, you can say, I'm a wildflower. <laughs> So I was like, I'm a wildflower. And me and Justin start laughing because I'm like, I'm a wildflower. And she's like, okay, Justin, now you say, you are a wildflower and you're meant to be free. And Justin says, you are a wildflower and you're meant to be free. And then we're both laughing. And I'm, and we're just kind of going back and forth on this like wildflower bit. It was like so What was funny. he? It was weird. He wasn't anything. Oh. I think it was more of like the masculine feminine yeah, nod. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he could have been something, but... That's yeah, so funny. It was we started laughing. There were other parts we started laughing. <laughs> I think we were laughing a lot because it's it's just hilarious to say and yes, and of course. Sometimes when you're saying those things, but it was really beautiful. It was really it was really nice. Oh, we needed it. I love that. Yeah. yeah, I think it's yeah to to kind of ceremonialize these moments up until mm-hmm. the wedding is really special. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just wait until the wedding. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. No. I was thinking at, at where we're getting married, they have a cacao ceremony too. I'm probably oh, going to do that one as well. Beautiful. And then I'll maybe do like a kiki session too. But yeah, it's been it's been really beautiful. It's been beautiful too to have him back and sort of have conversations about the marriage and sort of what we're, what we're coming into the marriage with and sort of what our expectations are. And that was one of the things he brought up in... Um, with a session with Laura, he's like, you don't spend enough time with mm. me. You know, you don't spend enough time in our relationship, which is so true. And I was like, yeah, I totally, I totally know. Mm-hmm. I've got to re-sort of shuffle my priorities when we get married, which is um, going to be really beautiful, but it's definitely something I need to do. Yeah. Well, I think like, especially with people that we're closest to, we mm-hmm. just simply like kind of take for granted that mm-hmm. they're always going to be there. Mm-hmm. And also because of the intimacy of this type of relationship, it's like, what does it mean if I give more of myself to you? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm just speaking from my experience where I'm like, what does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. You know, it kind of feels a little bit scary. Mm-hmm. You know, like, do I lose part of my identity or mm-hmm. does it enhance my identity? Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? Mm-hmm. Those are really good questions though. Yeah, I'm just like, well, what are we going to do? Because <laughs> I'm like, I don't like watching TV. I'm like, so we mm. need to do something. We need to be active. Mm-hmm. Active. No chilling. Active <laughs> there she is. things. There I am. I'm wildflower, bitch. Well, yeah. I feel like, yeah, the balance of, of chill time, but also... Chill time, but also... activity, yeah. He is. Yeah. So it was, it was really beautiful. But in my, my wedding episode, I'll go into more about um, the conversation on wedding and stuff like that. Because when we were at the membership meetup last week, I was talking to them about the theme for the month of April, which is clear. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to them about coming into the marriage and how much more it's been a thing than I thought. Like mentally to marry someone is very much more a thing than I thought. I really, you know, if I was 26 when we first met, because we talked about getting engaged really soon or not really soon, maybe it was two years or something. Mm -hmm. And then we were like, yeah, what's the point? So whatever. So, but if we would have gotten married, then my perspective would be totally different as like a 26 year old than it is now. Like when you're older, you have so much more of a defined sense of self or I personally, that's not true for everyone. But for me personally, I've had a more defined sense of self. Mm -hmm. So it's so much more serious. 
And so it's just brought up a lot. So I'm going to talk about that on my, my marriage episode. But so for anyone that wants more of that conversation. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I feel like as much celebration as something like that offers, it's like, it's also a huge life event. Huge. You know, it's not just like the party. It's mm-hmm. like, this is a huge life event, a huge shift. Amazing. So today's episode, I can't get over how grace-filled and beautiful and the voice on this one that we have on the podcast, Terry Cole, author of Boundary Boss. Um, I, kinda, I love her. I, I kind of left the conversation like, whoa. New friend. New friend. And also like, does the world know about this one? A hundred percent. I've been on Terry Cole game for years and I didn't know Ooh. she was so funny. She's so funny. She's hilarious. Cool. She's hilarious. And what was really beautiful, the, the one thing that I took about that I took from this uh, very profoundly, although I took so much, was about um, for people that immediately say yes to a lot of things, which definitely is me. In the conversation when we're talking about boundaries, a really beautiful practice for those people that are always quick to say yes is to not say no immediately, but ask for more time. So it's really not so much shifting from zero to 100 of saying yes to everything to saying no to everything. It's really somewhere in the middle where you could ask for more time to make a decision, which is something that, um, you know, Susie Batiz uh, showed us many years ago, founder of Poopery, who's been on the podcast a few times. But mm-hmm. um, having that space and grace to really allow yourself to make the best decisions for you is a really beautiful step into boundaries. But the conversation about boundaries is something that has been really relevant for our community. We've been talking about it for years. But it's interesting how it's really come to a head. I don't know if it's more social media related because of how deeply uh, connected we are to social media and you know, really realizing how much we need boundaries from our technology. But I feel like this is a perfect time for her book, The Boundary Boss. And in this interview, we really talk about a lot of different scenarios where we can apply and implement different boundary strategies. Yeah, I love the scripts. I yes. need that so badly. Yes. <laughs> where I'm like, okay, in an uncomfortable conversation about someone giving me unsolicited advice, like, what do I say yep. to create or establish or reinforce a boundary? And so in the back of her book, actually, she has a whole slew of scripts. And obviously, you can kind of alter it to to fit your needs. But I just found that to be so helpful because words are powerful. You know, words are really powerful. And I think for me in particular, like I, I let the emotion of the moment kind of, you know, run the show rather than that feeling of just groundedness Mm. and like knowing myself and my desires. So just having the words actually gets me super, super grounded. And we were also talking about like limiting beliefs and how these don't necessarily come from us. Like they are inherited. So thinking to like your parents and what their limiting beliefs are and how they could pass them down to you um, intergenerationally and how we can kind of pick apart those and and rewrite those beliefs. Yeah, we also talked a little bit about enmeshment. So mm-hmm. if you're in a family system where you have people are, that are enmeshed, the boundaries is a really big um, issue there. So really working with boundaries in enmeshment family systems. And then I loved having the conversation with her, exploring the difference between 
um, a need for a boundary and an opportunity for self-inquiry or self-reflection for growth. Because I think a lot of times now, because boundaries is such a popular topic, people are very quick to put up a boundary when they could potentially use it as a learning opportunity. Mm -hmm. And those don't have to be mutually, mutually exclusive. You don't need a boundary or it's a learning opportunity. It can kind of be a gray area. But I think exploring when we can lean into something as an opportunity to mirror what we're feeling or experiencing or a need for a boundary. Yeah. And she also talked about um, an example in her own life of where she kind of crossed a boundary. And it was an example of enmeshment as well with her sister. That was really powerful where, you know, she saw her sister in this relationship that she felt really wasn't healthy. And I think by, on paper, it probably wasn't, but she was putting so much time, energy, and focus into trying to like fix her sister, help her sister, support her, get her out of the relationship. And she just realized in crossing that boundary that it really wasn't helping her. And so pulling back and just allowing her sister to find that on her mm -hmm. own, she eventually came to the place where, you know, she called on her sister for support. But I thought that was such a good example because I think a lot of us just come from a place of love, mm -hmm. you know, and wanting the best for people that we love. But it's also kind of messing with the other person's natural trajectory and mm -hmm. like what they need to learn. Yeah. And then we talked about codependency and narcissism. So to round it out, we talked about some really relevant topics you know, that we've explored on the show. But the book is Boundary Boss. And this is Terry Cole. Terry Cole is all over YouTube and Instagram. And the book is Boundary Boss. So you can get it right now. And it includes a lot of freebies as well. And it is out now. Yeah. And check out our show notes. Uh, Terry offered a pretty nice freebie for you all. And follow us on Instagram. We'll be sharing about this episode and so much more, Almost 30 podcast. Um, and check out our website, almost30.com. We have courses and programs as well as information about our partners um, and a little bit about us. Mm -hmm. We will see you on the next one every Tuesday, Thursday, Almost 30. We love you. Love you. I would love to start, you know, just our conversation. So when I was thinking about um, just preparing, and I've been, you know, I've been a fan of yours for quite some time. I think I told our team maybe a year ago, I was like, we got to get Terry Cole on. Um, so I'm really thankful that you're here. But when I think about boundaries, it's almost something that's becoming such a conversation topic that that I'm I'm feeling a little bit like rolling my eyes about it because I'm wondering why people aren't applying all the principles that people are talking about. And it feels like something that people talk about creating boundaries, da-da-da-da, all the time. But I'm not sure if people are actually aware that the, if they're doing it or not. So I'd love to just begin and kind of talk about, you know, why do you think boundaries has become such a popular topic right now on social media and just in the public? And how does someone know if they're actually creating a boundary and it's working? So I think the popularization of it now, there's a lot of things historically that have led us to this moment. Because think about all the boundary violations we've experienced, especially as women, over the past, oh, I don't know, since the beginning of time. And so the Me Too movement, right? So that was like 2017, 2016, 2018, where that, those are boundaries that we're talking about, about getting laws changed and having people be accountable for sexual harassment and rape and all the other things that were happening. So that's one piece where there was visibility. And then the lockdown, right? So the pandemic, a global pandemic, where now what I've seen with my practice and with the groups and all the things that I do is that it really sh like shown this bright light on the disordered boundaries 
that already existed in relationships. So there was no way to get away from it. If you now spent 24 hours a day with someone who probably spent two hours a day with prior, and if you are a boundary disaster, which a lot of women in particular have a tendency because we're trained, right? What are we trained to do? To We're literally raised and praised to be self-abandoning codependents. I mean, fact. That sets us up to not only not know how to do this, but to be afraid to do it, to think that doing it makes us not like women. It makes us not good friends, makes us not good daughters, makes us not good partners, all of those things. So we're up against these myths, but I think there's been a lot of myth busting because of all of the unrest that's been going on as well. And we're just ready. Like I've been, you know, I'm so psyched. Everyone wants to talk about boundaries because I've only wanted to talk about boundaries for like 20 years. So <laughs> I'm like, finally. It's our season. Yeah. Yes. You're like, I've got some news for you guys. <laughs> like, yay. Yeah. The the piece on, um, you know, women being uh, truly taught to self-abandon and to be codependent um, feels so so real for me. And I want to talk about that piece of over-functioning. You know, I think mm-hmm. that's been my experience, but why why do women have a propensity to over-function in relationships, whether romantic or familial or between friends? What is going on there? Well, this is a part of codependency and, and relating in a codependent way. When you think about codependency, what is it? It means that you are overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the situations, the circumstances, the decisions of the people in your life to the point where it is negatively impacting your internal peace. Listen, we're all invested in the people we love and what's going on with them. So that's there's nothing wrong with that. If when something bad is happening to someone you love, if it actually feels like it's happening to you, if you are experiencing the urgency to fix that situation as if it were your own, then you know that you are relating in a codependent way. What codependency is, is a bid for covert and overt control. We want to stop that friend from making that terrible, awful decision. We want to avoid other people's pain. So when a friend is in pain, it's hard when you get healthy, when you become a boundary boss, you know that it's not your thing to fix per se. Because how much do you hate it when you're in pain and you really just want to be witnessed? And mm-hmm. someone's like, I have a great idea. Go see my doctor. He's going to fix everything. You're mm-hmm. like, just hi. Who asked yes. you? Stop. Yes. Like, <laughs> don't watch. You're like, tears like roll back up in your eyes and you're like, thank you very much. <laughs> that is literally me. I'm like cold all of a sudden. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> totally doing that. Yes. Never. Never. <laughs> but this is this is something though that is very confusing for people because we feel like in my 20s, I felt like I was doing these things out of love. My heart was in the right place. But we all know that intention does not equal impact. And that's the truth in this scenario as well. That what I really wanted. I had a therapist help me when I was in my late 20s and I was still kind of a boundary disaster. And one of my sisters, one of my siblings was always sort of in a bad relationship, in a bad situation. I was always trying to save her from herself or from some abuse of somebody. And, you know, she was in a really bad place, 
living in a house in the woods somewhere in upstate New York without running water with some crackhead who beat her, like not getting no, there's no embellishing to that story. That's actually what the story was. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my therapist and I was crying and I was like, you know, I just don't, what am I going to do? Like, what am I? Because I had already done plenty and tried to do more. And she said, let me ask you something, Terry. What makes you think that you know what Jenna needs to learn in this life? I was like, well, I think we could both agree. She doesn't need to learn it by being with a crackhead who's abusive or whatever. (laughs) Can we all agree? And she was like, no, bitch, we can't. She Mm -hmm. literally was like, I am not God. And you don't know, but what you want, you've worked for two decades to create inner peace, to have a harmonious, successful life. You would like her dumpster fire of a life to stop fucking with your peace. Mm. I mean, I paraphrase, Mm -hmm. but you get what I'm saying. And I was like, wow, that's terrible and so liberating at the same time. Mm. So uh, my, my thing there, I said, hey, so is it not my job? Like, am I not a bad sibling if I don't? And she's like, Terry, listen, you can't fix her life. You can be supportive. And, you know, I eventually just said, listen, you know, I need to step back from this. If and when you ever want to get the hell away from this idiot, I'm your, I'm your person to come to. And I am all in for the healing. And she did. Nine months later, she was like, I'm ready. Never went back, got sober, is living a great life. So, but it wasn't my thing. Do you see how? When we think we can fix it, and this is disordered boundaries, of course, disordered emotional boundaries, what we're really doing is we're centering the other person's situation on ourselves. I like the the control. I've actually never thought about control in the sense of codependency. And, you know, because for me, it seems very passive. Like codependency, I see as something that feels from my perception to be passive. Almost you're prioritizing someone's needs before your own, but rather there is the control bit happening. I had a situation, you know, I was in just graduated school and I was living in the city and I had a friend that I was, um, yeah, I just found myself deeply caring about her abusive relationship situation so much where I was like unwell. And then I just had a day, I was like, what I what am I doing? I was like, I need to completely detach from it. But that's the thing is, so I took a step back. And my question is, how do you re-engage in a way that feels caring? And then I've never found, and this might be just particular to my situation, that I could mm-hmm. show up again fully mm. because I'm sort of fearful of that happening. And then I'm also, and this could be a projection, feeling like they can't handle the truth of it all when you know the truth. Because once you know the truth, it's like, okay, they can handle the truth. So what do you think about that? Well, I think that you are, Krista, that you're mistaking showing up fully with showing up and taking it on. Mm. So, so because here's the thing, showing up fully when we have faith that other people should be self-determined and they are the boss of them means that we hold space for them to figure it out. Mm. Or like I did with my, my sister, step back because I don't think that it's healthy and that we should forever and ever have the friend who continues to tell us about the abusive partner when they're doing nothing to change that scenario. And so what the real thing is to, when we get our boundaries in order inside, we really know what is my side of the street? What is my friend's side of the street? 
If my friend wants to continue to talk to me about a situation that it seems like she gets a lot out of dumping that situation on me because I'm making a million and four suggestions and I'm like, I think this and I'm reading out of women who love too much, right? I'm helping her. I'm giving her quotes. She feels better. But what happens is we walk away when we are the fix it person and we feel like someone barfed on us because they did. So the that person releasing their anxiety on us. Now, that anxiety, which might be the thing that drives them to a new behavior, drives them to change their circumstance. Now that urgency is gone. We feel an urgency, but we don't have the power to do anything. So it sets up this, this scenario. But I want to say something to what you said before, Krista, about codependency. Because I was the same, and then all of my clients... Once I became a psychotherapist from being a talent agent, all of my clients, when I would see codependent behaviors, they would be like, are you crazy? Hello? Everyone's dependent on me, bitch. I do everything. I'm the one everyone comes to. I'm Mm -hmm. the rock. I'm not dependent on crap, lady. Mm -hmm. I I knew it because I used to be the same way. So there was a misunderstanding and there's a certain flavor of codependency. So I actually created a new moniker called high-functioning codependency. Mm. And as soon as I did that, and I explained what it is, you're so high-functioning, and so many of my clients were and are, that they would never... It wasn't like the Melody Beatty codependent no more, you have to be involved with an addict to be codependent. Mm. It was someone who was literally running the world. These are CFOs, CEOs, massively visible people doing these things. But they had so much bandwidth and were so smart that they were doing all of those things and over-functioning in all of these relationships at the expense of their inner peace, though, at the expense of themselves, whether they would then show up with an autoimmune disorder, insomnia, TMJ, getting um, shingles. Like There's all these physical ailments that come out when you are expending so much bandwidth in life. So I think that if we if we tap into the because I bet you identify as a high functioning codependent. Mm-hmm. We just guys, mm-hmm. we just got a new label for me. <laughs> we, I'm definitely that show. This is my personal session <laughs> with Terry. <laughs> no, that's the biggest fact. So I've thought about that a lot. I'm like, especially because I have a wedding coming up in May, which I'm really excited about. And I've note, but I've noticed my tendency mm. is like to put every not my. It's not my family. I'm kind of, I have great boundaries with my family, but it's more my friends. It's like, what do you want to do? Oh, you want to hang out? You want to do this? I I just always am like, I should be doing this thing. But if ever anyone is asking me to do this thing, I'll always like turn turn the ship to do that thing. So yeah, I'm mm-hmm. definitely I'm definitely high functioning. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, Same. even if it's codependency, I'm the best of it. <laughs> <laughs> you're like I'm getting gold stars everywhere. Yes, yes. But what about the dynamics that you're upholding in being codependent and abandoning yourself. I'm experiencing this thing where with my family in particular, where I'm no longer doing what I've always done with them. And so it's like that that breakup of that enmeshment or whatever that mm-hmm. is, is really, really difficult because mm-hmm. of the emotion within it for me. It feels like I'm divorcing my family in ways, but I know I'm not. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that, to that breaking up of that dynamic because it is so strong. It's like, it feels like home in a kind of fucked up dysfunctional Mm -hmm. way. Yep. What you're describing is separating and individuating. 
So it's something that sometimes people do it in their teens. A lot of people do. I didn't really myself, but you know, where you're acting out in your teens, you're getting into trouble because this process of becoming your whole independent self, it's required. And the reason why teenagers act like such assholes is because they have to do it with anger because it's so friggin' painful to have to break away mm. from the family in that way. I, I had an experience when I got married where I was, you know, married a widower. I, I literally instantly became like the mother figure of three acting out teenage boys mm. coming from a family of girls. I have three older sisters. So I grew up with four girls and my mom and my dad for a period of time. So this was, you know, a whole, a whole new thing. And I had so much loyalty to my family of origin because I was the hero child. I had all, mm. all of these roles, all of these things that I felt like I had to do. And I remember my sister, um, Kathy, saying to me, you know, Tara, and my mother as well, but Kathy was like, listen, Vic and the boys are your first family now. You do not. That, that is your first priority, Tara. Mm-hmm. And we love you. And we are your family of origin but they come first. So I see you killing yourself to still do all the things that you used to do for our family. You don't need to do that. You have your family. So I'm lucky that my family is encouraging and healthy. But part of what you can do, Lindsay, to soften the the experience is know that it's painful for all. Know that your love is durable enough to... Um, get into this new normal. You can stay lovingly connected while you stand firm in your boundaries. So, you know, you, you know, Harry, Dr. Harriet Lerner, I don't know if you're familiar with her work, but she's like just worshiping at the shrine. I love her. Her work had has had a huge impact on my life. She wrote The Dance of Anger, The Dance of Intimacy, The Dance of all kinds of things. And she talks about relationships being a dance, right? And when you change your steps, the other people, oh, they're going to notice and they're going to do what's called a change back move. So they might get like, you're really like ratcheting up the ante to a degree where they might be like, well, I don't like that. And then they'll be like, I can't believe you. I can't believe how ungrateful you are. Like doing anything to be like, hey, this is the dance that we do. Yes. Mm -hmm. You're changing the dance. So let's quickly analyze what's happening When we change, people are afraid. They're afraid that in the changing, they will lose you. You won't love them. They don't know how to do the new dance. So you're going to have to put down those boundaries more than once. And you're going to have to reinforce them. I remember with my mother, she used to always give me the instant advice, trying to fix everything, right? Always made me insane. So even in my 20s, like in the beginning, I'd be like, fine. Then I had a bunch of therapy. I was like, listen, you know what doesn't help me? You giving me advice when I'm in pain and I really just want you mm-hmm. to witness and care that I'm in pain. I don't, I'm not a problem for you to fix. Mm-hmm. I'm grown up. Like I got mm-hmm. it. I will figure it out. Mm-hmm. But you're yeah. my mother. And I would like some compassion mm-hmm. <laughs> and some just soothe me in some mm-hmm. way, please. Stop telling me what to do because it's so annoying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I would say it nicer than that in the beginning. I love that. You're like, soothe me, bitch. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, literally. It's <laughs> true, though. It's, yeah. it's hard. I, it's hard. I don't uh, even be able, I wouldn't even have the confidence to ask my mom to soothe me. I'm literally like frozen. I'm like, <laughs> but parents are so used to protecting, providing, yeah. 
you know, making sure you have shelter and this and that. And like, it's a very interesting thing to like now be an adult, be able to provide that for myself mm-hmm. and really need just love and support. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's it. And, and acceptance. And Here's acceptance. Thing. Huge. I used to say to my mom, hey mom, that part of our relationship is over because you did a great job. Like it's done though. And, and I, this is my life. These are my successes. These are my mistakes to make. And it's funny, my mother always had a, a like little clip out thing from the paper on her, still has it on her refrigerator that says, I promise not to take credit for your accomplishments if you promise not to blame me for your failures. Wow. That's hilarious. From a parent's point of view. <laughs> It's amazingly like passive aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, while you're getting water, just remember. (laughs) What is the, you said something about the hero child. Is that something related to birth order structures Mm. or what exactly is that? You know, it's both. It's birth order structures to a degree, but it's also um, alcoholic family systems. There there are roles that are played. There was a, a decent amount of alcoholism, even though it was like, listen, it, it, it's all dysfunctional, but I will say it was high functioning alcoholism. So you're dealing with like, oh, never had a DUI, but that doesn't mean that you were ever emotionally available because you weren't, because you were always drunk at night. So even, even if someone doesn't yell or doesn't throw anything at you, there's a reality that they disappear. So in a system, right, family systems theories tells us that there are different roles. That that the kids and you know there's an there's one person that people are organizing around. There's one person that's enabling the hell out of the whole thing, and then we, then there's a bunch of other roles. So mine was the you know that was the hero child. We could they could all agree that I was awesome. Wow, something we could all agree on. Mm-hmm. Sounds good, <laughs> literally. Wow, no, it's not free though. No, it, yeah. it's not good. No, yeah. None of those roles are good because yes. yes. They're not free. You can't oh, be the hero blessed. all the time. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to be the, the invisible one all the time. Yes. And the ones who get chosen as a scapegoat, oh. how much does that suck? Yeah. And does the hero want to save the others or like do they also enable because they don't want oh, to be yes. the, the like bad, mm-hmm. like seen as kind of disrupting things or? The hero child is, does well so that the family has something they can agree on. So, and yes, for me, I was a hero child, but I was also highly codependent with my family. So I was the fixer, the, the, the doer of things. Not that anyone asked me to, they didn't have to though, because you, you know, nobody has to tell us what our roles are. You just know what they are. I wanted to bring up something though that you were talking about with the family stuff, if we can go back quick, Lindsay, to mm-hmm. being in a situation where you're grown up. I, I had done something about this called the perennial parent, where there is something about, as a parent to grown kids, there is something about it being painful to let them go. And yet it is your mandate to do so. And that there's something that in, in the book, The Prophet, that was, I think it was written in the oh, 60s, yeah. but it's so beautiful, right? About mm-hmm. children, where it's basically saying as the parents, like we're the bow, the children are the arrow. And if you really do it right, you're just like, yes, ma'am, go. Do your thing. I don't need you to stay a child so that I can stay a parent because I'm also a human and I also have my own life. And it's important that that's the case. And you're not, not you, none of us are responsible for telling our parents that, but we are responsible for creating the boundaries 
that allow us to be adults and for attempting to create the boundary conversations with our parents that have them respect us as adults. And it takes time. What I was saying about the thing with my mom is I had to say that more than once. I had to get to the point of saying, mom, I'm going to have every time you give me unasked for advice or criticism, I'm going to get off the phone because I don't like it. I've asked you many times. She'd be like, okay, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like she would get there. But one of that, that whole saying, right? Unasked for advice and criticism robs the other person of their dignity. And it's true. Russell um, Friedman, who is the Grief Recovery um, Institute, one of the co-founders, he said that to me many years ago. And I was like, oh my God. So when I am telling everyone what to do everywhere in my life, am I robbing them of their dignity? Holy crap. Mm. I'm Mm. going to stop doing that. Mm. Yeah, there was a piece in the book that I really loved. And it was about the difference between criticism and covert judgment. And I think with family, that's a lot. And then also at work too. So um, can you talk a little bit more about that piece? Yeah, well, the difference between, let's say constructive criticism, right? Because there are people whose opinions we respect. I don't let anyone in the world tell me what they think about everything because P.S., I don't care what you think. And if I don't care what you think, like there's, a handful of people whose opinion I respect, like literally on the planet, no offense. I mean, I love lots of people, but I don't want them weighing in on my career choices unless Mm -hmm. you should. So I will always ask people for constructive criticism if I want it from them. But a lot of times, especially within family systems, people use the, I'm just being truthful card. They say it's for your own good. It's because I love you. And that is the covert judgment. They do not like what you're doing. And they're masking it under the, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. It's for your own good. And we can still say no to that. So there's all of these, um, in the book, there's a whole chapter that is just literally scripts. The entire chapter is scripts for every scenario you could ever find yourself in. And one very easy thing to say to someone, if they're starting to give you their opinion that you didn't ask for, is to say, oh, wait, can you hold up, Bob? I'm sorry. I should have said, I'm actually not looking for input right now. I would really love for you to just hold space for me to figure it out because it's my life and I will. And I'm struggling, but that's okay. That's how I'm going to get to the answer. So I'm sorry. I should have said that at the top. Baller. I mean, give me Terry Cole voice. I know, and honestly, poise right now. <laughs> and there's something about the you trusting yes, people's so like only a few people's opinions that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Where it's like just because someone you have a preference, and just because I have a preference to like only value the opinions of people that I respect and love, doesn't mean that you're like a bitch. Doesn't mean that I'm. You know, for me, I have to tell that to myself. I'm like, oh, you're, I'm not a bitch just because mm-hmm. people's opinions of me don't matter if they don't matter to me. And right. that's something that I'm really working on more in my life. It's like, it's okay to have preferences. It's okay to have preferences of your friends, of what you're looking for in life. Like, just because you're not accepting everything that's coming your way doesn't mean you're, you're a bad person. Mm-hmm. No, but let's talk about preferences because when at the top, you know, Krista, you had said, I think that, you know, there's a lot out there. People are talking about it. Do they mm-hmm. even know? No, I'm going to say mostly they don't because the myths about boundaries are so many 
right? If you have good boundaries, you're a bitch. You're rejecting people left and right. You're punching people in the face. You're confronting people. You're falling out with people. You're ending relationships. It's blocking relationships. And literally, no, no, no to all of that. So in my, the way that I teach this is that your boundaries are comprised of your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers. And you knowing those things and then having the capability of expressing those things in all the places in your life. That is what being a boundary boss is because you're able to express them with ease, with grace, when appropriate, love, not always. When appropriate, maybe a little more firmness, a little more fire if that someone's not listening, if you've got a boundary bully or if you've got a repeat offender, as I call them, right? So those are the things. It's not complicated. So when you said preference, I'm like, exactly. Mm-hmm. And why are we always like diminishing our preferences where we're taught to be easygoing? You want to be like some someone that who's fun, that people want to be around, then, you know, no fuss, no, you know me, it's all good. Stop. It's not. Why is it good to not have a preference? Your preferences, desires, limits, and deal breakers, that is literally what makes you uniquely, beautifully, amazingly you. So when we say yes, when we want to say no, we're abandoning ourselves and we're giving the people in our life corrupted data about who we are. So women would come to me in my practice mm-hmm. in their fifth, sixth, seventh you know, decade of life and be like, okay, so I've done it all. I've checked all the boxes. Kids are going to you know, Ivy schools. We got money. Everything's fine. I'm going to you know, Soul Cycle two times, whatever. Like, I've got it all. I like my I person. Know her. <laughs> right? Here's the thing. Got a beach house, maybe. Yes. And then they say, is this the way I'm supposed to feel? I'm like, well, how do you feel? Kind of like, is this all there is? No, that's not the way you're supposed to feel. And you feel that way when you literally... Do toe the line, become what other people think you should be, check the boxes someone else made, and then have no fucking idea who you are at that point in your life. So a big part of this process in the beginning that I'm teaching you is to get to know yourself. Think, spend time. I'm giving you, everything is actually in the book. I'm giving you the actual things that you can fill out so that you're like, oh, what are my preferences in every friggin' part of my life? Love that. Yes, the American oh. dream, baby. Once you achieve that dream, you're like, do I need a second house? Do I need a second car? And you realize it's not <laughs> mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the corrupted data pieces. I love that, the language around that because it's so true. And it also confuses the people that you're closest to, you know, where I, I've experienced some like, not trusting myself also makes other people not trust me. Mm. And that, you know, there's no boundaries there. And so... It's been really interesting to kind of give people that system update of like, no, I actually trust myself now. And they're like, wait, you do? And then it's like this kind of like, we need to like update. How would you like, just in conversations, I think that's the hardest part. The communication piece, at least for me, is like really hard because it is so, it's emotional. You know, it's like reintroducing yourself to people and or really shining a light on something that maybe that has been covert. So how would you recommend Mm -hmm. that people invite others into this conversation? And how long are you doing that individual work before you do so? 
Well, the way we invite people in, first of all, there, there's a desire when we first learn this stuff, like when you really get it and then you start looking at your relationships and you're like, holy crap, like why? We literally want to grab a bullhorn and be like, everybody, there's a new boundary shift. <laughs> literally. <laughs> but we were talking about that the other day on a different interview, how like when you kind of discover this shit, you're like, oh, everyone's gone. <laughs> like, there will be, there will be none of you. <laughs> but it's also like, we need to talk. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to tell everyone. And I always say to my clients, listen, there's a desire because we feel anxious about having these conversations or making mm-hmm. these boundary dance shifts. It's almost like we feel like if we just tell them, yes, it's all going to change, that it's going to make it change. So we don't do that because the pre-warning only makes more people anxious and doesn't help. We are slowly but surely learning a new language, just like you were learning a foreign language. You wouldn't expect to be fluent. You would expect to do it badly and to butcher it. But the point is, we just start. So how do we enroll? Let's say you've been going to a particular friend for a long time, every time anything happens in your life. They weigh in on everything. They want to know everything. Because listen, you women know that female relationships can be more painful and or complicated than love relationships. Facts. Like mm-hmm. friendships, I mean, because relationships, of course, with, between yeah. females could be love, but is that not true? Yes. Yes. Facts. Yes. Because we're so bonded, because mm-hmm. we're there's so much intimacy and depth to female friendships, but then the loyalty where you're like, I can't change. I'm like making a unilateral change to this silent agreement we've never talked about, and this person's going to flip out is the fear. So I, I have a lot of... um scripts that I give you that will sort of preemptively say, let's say it's the friend, you always go to her. Now you're going to her, but you want something different from her. That's when at the top you go, you know, um, Betty, I know that in our friendship, I've come to you so much and I always come to you with my problems and I always think you have the answers. And yet I've really been working on myself and I really want to become more independent. So I have a situation I want to talk to you about, but I'm going to ask you to not Weigh in. I really just would love you to hold space for how I'm feeling and for me figuring it out because I've really had this realization that, like, it's my life. I really need to be the one and I'm kind of the only one. And that doesn't mean I don't respect your opinion. And of course, I will still at different points ask you for it. But right now, I would just love it if you could just listen. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. And it's always, I think, too the being very complimentary and kind at first, you know, like I always come to you, like Lindsay taught yes. me that, like mm-hmm. being complimentary and kind about what you're looking for and encouraging of people. And I really do think it's smart to have, you know, having the boundary, boundary conversation, having it be more internal where you're sort of navigating it yourself. Because I, I think mm-hmm. if people don't understand really, then they feel, then they have the preconceived notions, which we talked about before. I was just going to say, understand also that people will have a a response or a reaction, but you are not that fragile. So part of it is expect that there'll be some pushback. Someone may say, oh, well, I don't know. Was I bossing you around all of that time? Let's just say like they took a ridiculous stance or whatever. (laughs) You can say, I see that you're upset. I'm sorry that you are. And I'm not at all saying that you were doing that. I'm really not. So like we have to be the ones who stay calm and don't get activated when you have the disease to please or when we've been raised 
you know, to, to be people pleasers. We don't want anyone to be upset. We don't like it. It is upsetting to us. And which is why in the beginning, I will school you that when you draw a boundary with someone, you have to wait 48 hours. You will have a profound desire to take that shit back. You want to walk it back, but you're not going to. And when you don't, after 48 hours, you're so pumped that you didn't. You'd be shocked at the people who respond positively. Like, you know what? That's great. What if your friend said, if you said that to your friend, and, and they said, you know what, that's amazing. I would love to just hold space for you because I know you're the one who has to come to the, whatever. Like the, that's the best scenario, right? But it takes a minute. So we're, you know, it, I call it the in-between mm. where the old shit doesn't work anymore because we, we know too much. We're like, can't be codependent in that way or can't act this way. We haven't mastered yet. We're not like a boundary boss just yet. So in the in-between, you got to have a lot of really good self-care and just have patience and faith that if you really love someone and they really love you, your relationship is durable enough for you to change the boundary dance. And if your relationship is so fragile that you changing the boundary dance creates a rupture that ends the relationship, I promise you, that relationship was way unhealthy for you. Mm. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. I love that. The um, the one thing I wanted to ask is, so I think this may be more related to social media commentary and conversation, but mm-hmm. people always talk about with social media, they're like, or they need to create boundaries. And I, I think there's a conversation about boundaries in social media, but my question is actually related to when do we need to create a boundary and when is something an opportunity for us to really look at ourselves and something like a way for us to change. Because I think sometimes people are like, I need to put up a boundary in situations where actually it's an opportunity for growth. And then sometimes it's really like they need to put a boundary for their own health. How do you determine those? Krista, that's such a good question. Mm-hmm. Well, I always say, no matter what it is, that whatever you know, shits do you've been through, whatever experience you've had, whatever is going on, the first step is always looking in and going, okay, What was my 50% of this experience? Were there red flags that I ignored? Were there things that I knew that I hid from myself? Was there some shady shit that I was doing? Did I have some ulterior motive? Did I want something from this person that wasn't like straight up friendship? I thought they could do something for me or whatever. Mm. We must look at ourselves, not with judgment. You know, Deepak Chopra would say, you know, you getting to the point where you can become the observer of yourself without judgment. It's like one of the highest places that you can get in your own self-evolution because we want to look at ourselves with compassion. But what we really want is a deeper understanding. So before we decide that we need to you know, go no contact with someone or whatever the scene may be, I always say the first stop is inside. We go, What is my every, it's 50% me in every relationship. It's 50% you in every relationship, no matter how badly someone else might be behaving. Your 50% is staying connected to the person, right? Your 50% is how you react rather than mindfully responding. And you can choose to go no contact with anyone you want or to draw a boundary or to end any relationship. That is your right. But I agree with what you're saying, Chris, I wouldn't do those things prematurely because a lot of times there's a bypassing element 
of stuff that is so juicy and important and such a beautiful opportunity for your own self-evolution, even though it's painful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd love to shift gears a little bit and talk about narcissism and narcissistic behavior. We went to a place called Onsite a couple years ago. And at least for me, that was the first time I was really introduced to what narcissism is and like mm-hmm. the levels of it. And I was like, oh shit, this person's a low level narcissist yeah. in my life. Or how, wouldn't you, you know, it was, it was kind of shocking. Confronting. <laughs> Confronting. And <laughs> yeah, I've always thought about like a narcissist as like someone who cannot be changed or helped. I don't know if that's true. I would love yeah. to kind of touch on that. But if someone is either um, around a narcissist, whether it's at work, at home, f- friendship circles, et cetera, where do we start as far as boundaries, as far as um, protecting ourselves? Yeah, let's start there. <laughs> well, I think that narcissism is a lot like like boundaries, right? Where we hear a lot about this. In, in the press, and we hear a lot about this in just the popular vernacular, people talking about everyone is a narcissist. Here's the thing, not everyone's a narcissist, probably less than 7% of the population of this of the United States is actually narcissistic personality disorder. Are we a country filled with narcissistic behavior? Oh, yes, but that's different. Mm-hmm. So you we can look at it like a narcissist is one thing because... That is literally a personality disorder, right? This is this is something that is hard wired into someone. Can someone change? It's possible, but most of the time, if someone is a real narcissist, a diagnosable narcissist, they don't have the insight into their illness to make the changes. They really do think it's just you. So they're not going to, because you have to want to, and they don't have the insight. People who are self-absorbed, self-centered, can be selfish. They can change because they can be aware of it. And if they know that it causes you pain, you can talk about that, you know, drawing boundaries. But so let's just talk about the way that I dealt with it in the book is that boundary destroyers is a whole chapter. And it's basically about people with narcissistic personality disorder, any other cluster B, you know, personality disorder, where they're acting out in this way. Because the regular rules of engagement, you know, you learn a proactive boundary success plan with first timers, with, you know, repeat offenders. Those are people who don't have, who are not extremely difficult. The way that you handle those, we wouldn't handle narcissists because it wouldn't work. So what works to protect yourself? So back to Lindsay, your question, Mm -hmm. which is that be mindful of anything that you tell someone who is a real narcissist, that shit will definitely be used against you. So do not share anything important or tender with that person. Keep it light. If it's someone that you work with, don't get sucked in. Stop projecting that they are like you because they are not. Mm. Step back. They will do everything to engage you, to, to stir up shit, to, because this is you know the narcissistic supply that they need, which is like human drama. It's sad, but true. Mm -hmm. So, and they're very dangerous because they can psychologically just annihilate other humans. So there's lots of different things we've heard about when it comes to narcissists. Love bombing is one form of emotional manipulation that can be used 
knowingly and unknowingly, right? They may not be aware of it where you get into a relationship with someone and, you know, you know what love bombing is. They just treat you like a queen. They fly you to Paris. They, you know, the sex is amazing. You're the most important. You're the most special. Nobody could understand them like you. They want to talk about going to a wedding in like eight years from now so that you're like, oh my God, we have a future. Amazing. (laughs) Buy you amazing things. Do all the things until you are sucked in. And then they shift because there's a cycle of abuse with narcissists. Then they shift. And the first time you walk out of your bedroom to be like, okay, so we're going to the party. And they're like, you're wearing that? Man, you look so fat in that. Like, I don't wear that. I'd be embarrassed if you wore that. And you're literally devastated. This person who was your person, your biggest supporter, the person who thought you were amazing. And that is the beginning of the rest of your fucking life in hell. So if anyone is listening and you've had this experience or you're in, you're being love bombed right now. It's going to end and it's going to be painful. So boundaries with narcissists are all about creating space. It's all about stepping back from them having access to your most tender heart. Sometimes I've been... So we had that experience at onsite with that narcissism situation. And I was thinking a lot about my mom and her you know, what I, when we found out, I'm like, oh, wow, a lot of this aligns. But in my head, I've been also thinking about people in my life that I've seen have narcissistic tendencies. And it almost feels like an unintegrated inner child. (laughs) It almost feels like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like, I'm like, well, they're not, it's, you know, there's just a way about it. Do you think, do you think that could potentially be true that a lot of these people are just unintegrated inner children? Listen, Yes. And I don't know that I would, I like those words. I don't know if I would say it exactly that way, but we're really talking about, you know, what are the things that cause narcissism? So it can be profound neglect, can cause it where you felt completely unimportant. It can be the parents who told you you were better than everyone else, Mm -hmm. who said you were the most amazing, that you were special, that you should be treated special by everyone. But you didn't feel it. Like they didn't, it's not commensurate to your achievements or your brains. They're like, you're a genius, you're a prodigy. But you're like, as a kid, you kind of know you're not. So there's this um, development of the false self that goes along with like the narrative the parents have. So is it the unintegrated child? I mean, yeah, it is. It's, it's not getting past that injury, whatever it is that happened there. And there is such a self-loathing underneath in every, in the center of every true narcissist is a profound sense of unworthiness and self-loathing. Because when you feel good about yourself, there's literally no way in hell you treat other people that way because you don't need to. Mm -hmm. You have what you need. I don't need you to be in pain so that I feel better about myself. I don't need to put you down to elevate myself. I don't need to compete with everyone because I'm aware of my own skills and my own, like I have that sense of self. So when you're mentally healthy, you get it. Like your gain is not my loss. Mm -hmm. My friend's gains, you're like, yay, amazing, Mm -hmm. great. It's not like something good happening to you does not feel like something bad happening to me. Mm -hmm. but. For a narcissist, it does. Mm. Have you treated 
like do narcissists go I to I want to meet one to like a real therapy one. <laughs> like have you I shouldn't say that actually. have you have you uncovered you know because then it'll happen yeah have you uncovered <laughs> in therapy like someone who is a narcissist and like from what I hear you saying it's a disorder that cannot be treated no I, I don't say it cannot be treated okay. because if someone is seeking therapy even if they're coming in to say that all the people in their life are fucked and they're, they just want me to help them figure out all their people, you know, you're, at least there's an openness yeah. to something. I think I'm really grateful that I have not often attracted that into my space. And, and yet there are, here's the thing with narcissists, they romance you. They romance the therapist. They romance everyone. So, so they're, they're stroking the egos of all the people, and they're so friggin' charming. So th- this is the thing with a lot of narcissists. They are just amazing. So if you have a parent, like a mom, I actually have a, I have a course called The Mother Wound because it's like, if you have a mom who's a narcissist, like you're just, it's so friggin' painful. And all your friends are like, I don't know what your problem is. Your mother's amazing. She's so funny. She's so cool. She lets us drink. It's so great. You're like... <laughs> <laughs> it's not great if you're related to her, but you know, mm-hmm. nobody understands how painful yeah. it is to have a parent who's a narcissist because they put on a show yeah. for everyone else, but you know who they really are. Yeah. Um, one of the last things I want to talk about was in the book, I really loved, um, and just something as far as how boundaries can get crossed were um, the examples in the Corrupted Boundary Data chapter about people that always say yes and people that overgive. And I think a lot of our community are probably those people that say yes too much and then that also overgive. So what do you suggest for those folks to get started with really mastering their boundaries? That's so good. And I happen to have a gift for you. Yes. Mm -hmm. I I guessed that would be the right one for your audience. So it's about boundaries and codependency, high functioning codependency. Yes. But boundaries and codependency, because this is what you're talking about. And in it, I have scripts to say no, whatever. So that's beautiful. You guys will tell me where you want it to go. It's boundaryboss.me forward slash. What do you want it to say? Almost 30. Almost. You're like, how about the name of the podcast? I yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, I was like, is this, is I thought it was, it was, I don't know. So I, I thought it was going to be like a quiz or something. <laughs> Slash almost 30, baby. Almost 30 forever. You got it. Anyway, but mm-hmm. let's, for people listening, before they go to get their gift, because it'll give you, I'll walk you through a bunch of things in the gift. The first thing you want to do, if it's really hard for you to say no, is you're just going to learn how to buy time. Wow. We're just going to stop the Insta yes. That's just going to be the first step. So I give you, I'll give you a couple of things right now that you can say, and you're going to write them in like your little notes in your phone. And you're going to repeat them when you're not with anyone. You're going to repeat them. Hey, I'll get back to you on that. That's it. Hey, I'll get back to you on that. I need to check with Lindsay, Krista, my friend, my dog, my roommate, whoever. Um, another thing you can say is... Um, I have instituted a 24-hour decision-making policy, so I'll get back to you tomorrow. Love and maybe that's that. too corny for most people. I actually like it. I'm into that. <laughs> because who, who can argue against a policy? Like, this is my policy. It's my new boundary. This is my rule of engagement. You want to 
interact with me. This is one of the rules is that I don't make instant decisions and we don't have to be angry about it. But when people pressure us to, because you know the ones, they're like, this is an amazing thing. You don't want to miss it, but you got to decide by 3 p.m. I'm all like, no. (laughs) You know what? Poor planning on your part does not constitute an emergency for me. And I don't make any decisions like that. Not for you, not for anyone. So if you need to know now, it's definitely a no. I'm obsessed with that. Love it. Just on that, sorry, Mm -hmm. to the one thing, the other thing is related to that. So the timing. So you're like, you need to know my three. What do people do? And I, I don't know if this gets gray for people when they're at work. Like, I feel like I see people creating boundaries in their personal lives, but I feel like people are having a harder time creating boundaries in their work, like whether it's be bosses or other mm-hmm. people that they work with. Well, what's difficult is that it's not that it's difficult, it's just different. Yes. So where there's a power differential, now we have other things to consider. So the way that you can, and it's appropriate for you to draw boundaries with your boss, is different than a subordinate, is different than a coworker, right? So part of it is we, we, as we are creating our proactive boundary success plan, which is what you will be doing when you walk through the book, we've, we consider who is it with? What is the problem? And a lot of times, you know, you guys, this is unresolved stuff from childhood. So there is quite a bit of time when we need to sort of go into the basement of your mind You know, that's the unconscious mind. Open up a couple of boxes and go, huh, this is familiar. Like I have been in this situation before in my life. Maybe that's why it's so hard for me to draw a boundary with my boss. Because I've just realized, because I've asked myself these questions, that I am relating to them like my punitive parent. And I turned into a 10-year-old in that moment in time. So there's ways to be, we raise your awareness around where this might be happening so that we can change it. So I think that each thing at work is is, um, specific to who you're dealing with. But if you know that you have the disease to please, that you are really seeking external validation, if you're like the peacekeeper, right, you can go take, go to boundaryquiz.com and you can find out. It's just a 13 question quiz that I created that you can find out. Is your boundary, pr- predominant boundary style, like the peacekeeper, the pushover, the ice queen, the loner? So I've really broken it down to how you would respond to different situations because we're all different. But in the end, we need to balance those boundaries out because if not, we end up angry in life. We end up bitter in life and we end up projecting that everyone takes advantage of me rather than I don't have the skills. I am not expressing my boundaries, but you can learn just like you can learn a foreign language. I wrote it the same exact way, like step by step. So I just want everyone to become a boundary boss because the world will be so much of a better place. Mm. Final question is just about the physical body because I feel like when I do make these boundaries, I have, it's like a thrill. And then there's also like kind of a old body reaction of like, you know, Mm -hmm. that stomach drop or just, yeah, that physical reaction. So um, I loved the way you talked in the book about body wisdom. So how can we start to just tap into that? Realize that there's nothing for you to do. Meaning that you are having a physical response of anxiety and fear 
But that doesn't mean you should undo the boundary. So we do a lot of self-soothing. You can journal, take a tub, watch something light. But be aware, this is a normal reaction. Like if we can just raise our awareness, instead of just having the feeling experience where we go, oh, look, I'm changing something. My body is noticing. That's okay. I'm going to do some energy work, which I share in the book. And there's super simple positions we can just sit in, right? Which will stop the fight or flight because that's really what you're talking about. When we get get that constriction and we're like, I feel like I did something wrong. Like I'm scared I'm in trouble. That's like that feeling. So there are things that you can do, but the most important thing is awareness that you're going to have a reaction, but you're not that fragile. That reaction doesn't mean to abort the boundary mission. It simply means you're in the in-between. And the more you do it, the less you will have that physical response. And the more the people in your life see that you still love them, the deeper you're like you're gonna, the payoff is so rich, so beautiful, and so lasting that you just got to get through the in-between part where you're changing it. And you can, because I've helped tens of thousands of women do it already. So baller. Wow. So baller, Terry Cole. This has been so much fun. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we know you. I'd love to just tell our audience about the book before we go. Sure. So where can they find it? They should go to boundarybossbook.com. Perfect. And that's where you get the bonuses too, of course, ridiculously overgiving on the bonuses. So just put in your little receipt from buying it and I'll give you a bunch of stuff. And it has a bunch of scripts in it too. So it has scripts. It has Mm -hmm. so much information. So what can they expect when they get it? Well, here's the thing. If you can read, you can become a boundary boss. Mm -hmm. Like I, the whole book is written with the reader in mind. So in every single chapter, I have a thing that's called back to you. I teach you something and then I go back to you. And now the reader themselves is like asking themselves questions, raising their awareness because we're literally transforming through every page of the book and we're doing it together. Every single chapter starts with a case study, a client, my own life, someone else, so that you can see this in action because it's so much easier to understand when you're like, oh, now I get what that is because I hear the story of Esther or whoever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you go to the back of the book. At the end of each chapter is Boundary Boss in Action, which is basically some something to raise your awareness. I give you, do this for 48 hours, do this for 72 hours. And then I give you a little deeper dive right there. And then you go to the back of the book. And I've, I've chosen only the most profoundly impactful integration exercises to share because I've been teaching this for five years. So I beta tested everything in this book for five years to go, what is actually the most direct route? Mm -hmm. What is less pain and more payoff? That's really what I want to know. And that is everything that is in the book. So it walks you through it all. You have a whole chapter of scripts, You have a whole chapter of protecting yourself from boundary destroyers because we need to, what to say to them, how to manage them, how to step back from them. Yeah. Amazing. So powerful. Yeah. Everyone go get Boundary Boss. Yes. Everywhere books are sold. Thank you so much, Terry Cole. Yeah, this has been so much fun. I'm so so glad to know you. It's just a joy. So thank you so much. And then the link and everything we talked about today will be in our show notes for everyone listening. And we'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Terry Cole. She is the creator of Real Love Revolution. She has an amazing YouTube. She is the author of Boundary Boss. She's the best. I, I was sitting there. I was like, loved. You're my therapist. Right? Yeah, she's she's a new new Ooh, homie. She's so cool. The best. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And thank you to our sponsors for this episode. We're always so grateful to be working with brands that we truly love and just find a meaningful partnership with. So BTR Bars, Issue, Daily Harvest, Bio-Optimizers and Gravity Blanket are our sponsors for this episode. You can find all discount information in our show notes as well as on almost30.com. Just scroll down and click on partners. Thank you all for listening. We really, really appreciate you. Make sure you subscribe so that our new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday are in your inbox. Yes. And if you would be so kind as to write a five-star review, we would love, love to see it. We'll see you on YouTube. We'll see you on Instagram and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks everyone. Bye.